is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As you've been hearing on WBEZ, the Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade and end the right to legal and safe abortion in the U.S. A final decision isn't expected until the summer, but many states are moving to either protect or outlaw the procedure. And when it comes to making life-changing decisions about your reproductive health, it's important to seek out the facts and vet your sources. But experts say misinformation campaigns around abortion run rampant. Here in Illinois, high school students are required to take media literacy training. That means they're learning how to spot so-called fake news on reproductive rights and other topics. So what are some best practices and how does media literacy impact our democracy? Joining us now to discuss is Peter Adams. He is Senior Vice President of Education at the News Literacy Project. Hi, Peter. Welcome to Reset. Hi, Sasha. Great to be with you. Also with us is Jim Warren, Executive Director of NewsGuard and a former managing editor at the Chicago Tribune. Hi, Jim. Welcome. Great to be here with you guys. Peter, I want to start by explaining what exactly we mean by media or news literacy. Can you break that down? Sure. Um, you know, media literacy is a is a kind of broad field that teaches students to be critical consumers of, of all media, including entertainment media like, like uh, TV and movies. Um, but news literacy is kind of an approach to media literacy that focuses on teaching the skills students need to recognize credible information and to avoid being duped by misinformation. And as I mentioned, there's been a lot of movement around the abortion debate in this country. So how does misinformation come into play? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously, anytime you have a highly polarizing, um, contentious social issue, um, purveyors of misinformation and bad actors and hyperpartisans really glom onto those issues and, and push a lot of falsehoods. So, you know, it's really good to be mindful of that. Uh, as consumers, we see a lot of information. We see a lot of posts from people we don't know. And to really gravitate toward and focus on straight news reports from, from credible standards-based outlets. We're going to see a lot of punditry. We're going to see a lot of opinion pieces. And those sometimes get the most engagement in our feeds so they can rise to the top. Mm-hmm. But we have to be really deliberate and, and seek out straight coverage. A lot of opinion pieces for sure. Uh, Jim, you recently wrote an op-ed in the Chicago Tribune and you were talking about Illinois leading the charge on media literacy in schools. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Illinois is the, uh, the first state to go down this path, and it's uh, amended the school code to add a provision that beginning with the upcoming school year, starting in the fall, every public high school is required to include in its curriculum a unit of instruction on media literacy. Uh, No state has gone as far as Illinois has in theory. Now, there are lots of questions, as Peter knows, about how you're going to monitor this, how you're going to evaluate it. Are local school boards really going to insist that this be true? Because remember, this is a state where there's lots of lots of um, uh, unfunded mandates having to do with even the teaching of German, Hungarian, Irish, Bohemian, and Russian uh, immigration's impact on the on the state of Illinois. Yeah. But in theory, uh, for the first time in, in uh, the United States, a state is going to require this of its students. Peter, why is it so important that young people learn these skills? Yeah, we, I mean, we really see this as a student right, right, that uh, young people today are inheriting the largest and most complex information environment in human history. There's a lot that's very powerful about it, um, but there are a lot of, of mixed-up incentives, a, a lot of bad actors, and a lot of unsolved problems. So we really owe it to them, right, to, to help them understand 
how to evaluate the information they're seeing because information is, is the basis for their, for their civic agency and their civic empowerment. And there are lots of folks out there who are trying to manipulate folks and kind of hijack their civic voice. So we feel that, you know, this is something we, we owe students uh, and the public um, an opportunity to, to learn. Well, one resource if available. I under, if I can underscore, Sasha, uh, sure. some great work that Peter's group has done, um, bring down to more basic um, grassroots realities. Uh, according to his group, only about 18% uh, understand what the watchdog role of the press is. Somewhere around 40% know the five freedoms protected by the First Amendment. And somewhere around half, according to his group, um, don't deem it important enough to check whether information they get on social media is actually true. Which is Why so is scary. Important? Yeah. It's important because, look, there either was or wasn't a riot at the U.S. Capitol last January 6th. Bill Gates either did or didn't create the COVID-19 virus. Uh, you can either uh, cure cancer eating apricot pits or you can't. 9-11 either was or wasn't a government conspiracy. J.B. Pritzker's claim that, say, Illinois has led the Midwest in vaccinations is either true or isn't true. Um, and there are lots of city issues. There either is or isn't more private equity uh, capital coming into the city of Chicago than it was two years ago, yeah. or there isn't. Um, you can go on and on. So as one tries to instruct students about all of this, we at NewsGuard have one of many, many, many tools, just one. We've assessed about 7,500 websites in the U.S., Europe, and Canada, and about 130 TV shows. We've done, you know, analysis of WBZ's uh, website and trying to help people understand whether they can trust those sources yeah. of, of information. How, What's their track record for accuracy? Who owns them? Do they run corrections, et cetera, et cetera? Well, well Jim, how do you go about rating the credibility of news sites exactly? We have, we have nine simple criteria that are on our site, newsguardtech.com. Take WBZ's site. Does WBZ tell you who owns it? Does it run corrections? Does it label news versus opinion? Does it label news versus advertising? All simple stuff that you would think, oh, you know, we can all agree on. Yeah. You would be amazed how many people don't fulfill those criteria. You'd be amazed how many sites don't even tell you who owns it. Not until I pestered the New York Times for months and months and months, the New York Times, did their site finally come clean and say, who owns the New York Times? Interesting. It was the same with NBC's website and all the NBC stations, which said that NBC Universal owned it. No, that was not the case. It's Comcast, the giant cable company. So things like that. And then there are the trickier issues of, you know, uh, of, of accuracy and, uh, and uh, opinion infiltrating news. And we have lots of debate on right. those. But by and large, we stick to these nine criteria that most people would totally agree with. Well, Peter, talk here uh, now about the, the real life consequences of fake news and misinformation, especially right now during a pandemic, during an election year. Yeah, I think recent events have underscored, you know, the stakes of, of mis- and disinformation and the role that credible information plays in our lives, like, you know, probably not, not any time in recent history. Um, it is literally a matter of, of life and death now, and, and the emergence of, of uh, COVID and the pandemic, you know, really touched off a, a range of, of uh, health mis- and disinformation that was dangerous, it was often circulated or even created with the best of intentions. Um, but it was so widespread, you know, that, that listening to someone who's not an expert, 
um, taking some missteps uh, could result in, in making you ill or, or worse. So, you know, we've really drilled down on, on that issue uh, uh, in this recent period um, and also really looked at the, the threat to democracy that, that we saw uh, in 2020 and, and in uh, January 6th um, in particular, that, that, you know, when false narratives, when falsehoods take root um, and become widespread enough, people begin to see evidence uh, of that. So when the, the, the false and baseless assertions of election fraud started to take place and people started to pour over, you know, raw video feeds of, of polling places showing election workers doing exactly what they were supposed to do, mm-hmm. transcribing a ballot, writing on a ballot to mark it. Um, allegations of fraud congealed into a kind of conventional wisdom, but it was it was baseless again. And so that that resulted in more people seeing perceiving more evidence uh, and it just kind of snowballed. So we're now in a situation where a significant percentage of the public believes that uh, there was something fraudulent about an election that all the evidence suggests is one of the most secure in our nation's history. Clarify for us the difference, Peter, uh, between misinformation and disinformation so we get it right. Sure. Um, you know, misinformation is just, just false information, um, but disinformation is, is false information that is um, created intentionally with a, with a specific purpose. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you are just tuning in, we're talking with Peter Adams of the News Literacy Project and Jim Warren of NewsGuard about how misinformation spreads online and what you need to know as you're searching for reliable sources of news and information. Uh, Peter, Jim kind of walked us through a little bit earlier, but uh, I, I know your organization surveyed thousands of students during that 2020-2021 school year. Can you give us a bit more of your findings? Sure. Um, yeah, we, we survey, you know, tens of thousands of students a year anonymously on our platform. Uh, the, you know, teachers, teachers provide our platform to their students. They manage their rosters and they take a kind of free assessment. So before they do any work, any news literacy lessons or activities on our platform, you know, we asked them uh, a batch of questions. Um, and, uh, you know, as Jim mentioned, um, fewer than one in five show an understanding of the watchdog role and really understand the, the role of the fourth estate in a democracy, right, and the role that the press plays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fewer than half know that the five freedoms are protected by the, the First Amendment. Um, very few, I mean, ha- fewer than half are confident they can identify misinformation. Um, and we have a new question in the field this year, and we're seeing more than half of students think that all information um, is out to manipulate them in some way. So uh, we've kind of fallen into this cynicism trap uh, where we think that because no source of information is perfect, um, all sources of information are equal and mm-hmm. all sources of information are out there to, to manipulate me in some way, which really opens students up to falling down all sorts of rabbit holes and believing all sorts of conspiratorial claims. And, of course, we, we see that uh, online. So we're really out here trying to inoculate students from, from falling into that, that kind of thinking uh, and to give them an appreciation for the role that, that news organizations play and a real understanding of the standards and ethics of quality journalism, both so they can recognize them in practice, but mm-hmm. also so they can hold news organizations accountable to those standards. Jim, you mentioned the New York Times earlier, and, and I want to put this to you. Uh, they recently did an analysis on, on Fox News primetime host Tucker Carlson. Uh, it, it found that his show may be the most racist show in the history of cable news, but it's also one of the highest rated shows on TV right now. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that, you know, a- entertainment can often trump um facts and and truth uh 
you know, but, but it's great to Sasha you asked this question. Uh, Tucker Carlson took after us last week in a, a little riff about NewsGuard oh. being a censor. And um, one of Carlson's big points was how can we trust somebody who took a grant of money from the Biden Pentagon? Um, and he went on and on about, uh, you know, us being shills for, for Biden and somehow left-wingers. Well, in fact, we did get a contract from the Pentagon to do some serious work on misinformation. Alas, Tucker, it was not the Biden Pentagon. It was the Trump Pentagon. <laughs> and we also got some money from the State Department. It was not the Biden State Department. It was the Trump-era State Department. So he was basically totally, absolutely wrong. He won't run a correction. There'll be, you know, no consequence for him for trafficking in such, you know, god-awful wrong information. But it's all the more reason, as, as, as Peter so eloquently put it, to help students learn this critical skill that they will need as they navigate their academic and professional lives, particularly in a world in which there is so much hyperbolic garbage online and, without mentioning any particular shows, on television. (laughs) Peter, we know American trust in the media right now, it's at an all-time low. That's just across the board. So how, how can news outlets... I'm asking for a friend here. Uh, how, can, yeah. how can we adapt in this climate? Well, look, I think first off, you know, that, that we have to recognize that news media are often targeted by ideologues and partisans, right? Um, the media is this abstract concept that everybody loves to hate. People tend to, to feel more positively about their local outlets and especially about journalists, who, individual journalists who they recognize and follow their work. So I think you know, first of all, we have to get that trust conversation back on the rails, out of the realm of politics and rhetoric, and back into a, to an honest assessment of, of what quality journalism aspires to be. And then people can really assess for themselves the extent to which coverage they're seeing, you know, does that. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, number one. Number two, I think news organizations can do a better job of, of explaining their process, right? There are lots of conversations in newsrooms every day all across the country about language choices, about whether to cover a given story, really nuanced, considered, you know, conversations that that the public has no access to. And so in that vacuum, you know, bad actors and pundits and people who will try to capitalize on people's feelings about media um, insert themselves, right, and and kind of fill in those blanks disingenuously, as as Jim just kind of pointed out. Jim, I've I've just got 20 seconds, Jim, but I want you to give tips to our listeners on how to spot fake news or verify their sources. Real quick. Well, I, you know, I, I think it's real hard. Use one tool like NewsGuard. That's just one of many, NewsGuardTech.com. Download it and use it. And, you know, go for help to teachers and others in see, whatever the subject is, whether it's biology or whether it's journalism or whether it's current events or what's going on in Washington. Go to people whom you trust, say, in a school and yeah. say, hey, what can I as a student trust and rely upon? That's Jim Warren, executive editor at NewsGuard, and Peter Adams, senior vice president of education at the News Literacy Project. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.